Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book. It's called A Gift from Adversity. It's the same title as this podcast. A Gift from Adversity subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I wrote this book, I've gotten a lot of messages from all over the world, people sharing their adversities and stories. And I decided to start this podcast last year, January. And today we're recording episode 121. And I'm very grateful for all the guests who came to this podcast from all over the world. So let's invite tonight's guest. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? How's everything? Very good. So let's start from uh, stating your name, where you're coming from today, coming in from today. And if you have any social media or any website, anything that you want to promote to people. All right. Well, my name is Stephen Sticks Josie, and I'm on all types of social media platforms. Before that, I'm actually coming from the Massachusetts area. And um, I'm on Facebook under Steven Sticks Josie, Instagram under Steven Sticks Josie, TikTok under Steven Sticks Josie, as well as um, like Spotify, um, terms of any um, Snapchat, anything. I'm Steven Sticks Josie, no matter what it is. And what do you do for work? I'm a writer, producer, director, actor, musician, and that's that's enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in today, Stephen. So let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience what was your adversity? Well, my adversity from from the beginning before I was even here was rejection. I was rejected by my mother's family because I was going to be black. My mother was not black, she was Italian. And at that time when I was conceived, there was a lot of racism going on back in those days. And so she was rejected from her family. She was told to abort me, she didn't do so. And as a result of that, she ended up coming to Massachusetts, got rejected from her family, came to Mass and um, was on drugs and was given money to go back to New York to give birth to me. And then she gave me to my dad. And when she gave me to my dad, he gave me to his mother. I was his eighth kid out of 19 kids before he died 20 something years ago. But I was his first mixed kid. So instantly he gravitated towards, you know, hitting me and abusing me. So, I mean, I have a hole in my head now from that, from that he gave me at six years, I mean, at three years old. And so the abuse went on forever. That was the first part challenge of adversity. And then I went on to, um, my mother came and got me at six brought me to Boston. We lived on the street. We had nothing, we were poor. And a gentleman after five days of us being on the street got us to a shelter in downtown Boston. And from there, months later, we ended up in a project called Columbia Point Project. And at that point, my mother got off the drugs. And so from there, she got a new vice. Her new thing was bingo. So she started leaving me by myself, you know, while she would go to bingo at six years old. So that's when a lot of it just came in, you know, just a rejection, you know, just a poverty and just not having anything. 
And that, that just carried on, but it, it drove me. It really drove me. And at six years old, I can remember being at the Boston Common and there was a concert going on and a gentleman got off the drum set during intermission and I ran and jumped on the drums. My mother ran over there and said, get off the drums. And the guy was like, no, no, let him play. Let him play those drums. And he started saying, okay, this is what this does. Are you right-handed or left-handed? I said, I'm right-handed. And so he said, I think you're gonna do something in life. He said, you know what? I'm gonna call you little sticks. So he handed me some sticks. I carried those drumsticks forever. And as a result of that, that's when I got my name Sticks. And I carried a tattoo of sticks on my on my um right shoulder to this day. But um that was the biggest adversity. And just, you know, coming up and just, you know, just dealing with being poor, not knowing your family, and you know, not knowing, you know, what's gonna happen with you with your life. So what race was your mom again? She was she was Italian. She was white. Italian. Yeah, she was white. And your father was black? He was black, correct. Yes. So she told you this story? Yeah, she told me what happened. When I got older, she told me. She told me when I was an adult. Well, I already knew what was going on because I never met her family from the rejection. Never, never I never met her mother or anything. You know, just imagine going through life. I've never met my grandmother or none of that. She's they're dead now. They're all dead, you know, but well, they passed on. But I never got a chance to meet them. And that that still bothers me to this day. So you're Italian black? Yes, Italian and black. Yes. So you mentioned that she was on drug? She was on actually, she was doing heroin. She was doing heroin while she was pregnant for me. Yeah, she was on drugs. And so her family kicked her out of New York. She came and lived on the street. And as she was living on the streets in Massachusetts, oh. you know, people were, the people that she was around were indulging in drugs. And that was the only thing she could do to ease her pain. She was mm -hmm. doing drugs and she was drinking the vodka and orange juice. She said that was her main thing, vodka and orange juice. Yeah, so that was what it was for me before birth and thank God I don't I don't do things you know I don't I'm not indulging you know but that's a whole another thing <laughs> so your abuse started by your mom or somebody else no by my dad my father he started oh. beating me like what happened when I was born my father had three of his kids already living with his mother so oh. he my mother gave me to him because she couldn't take care of me she was a drug addict she was 18 years old so she gave me to my dad my dad was 29 and so he gave me to his mother and at that time he would come over and beat me every so many days like i said i have a hole in my head he took a pump shoe put it through my head through my skull threw me in a tub of blood and left me for dead and one of my brother's mothers got me to the hospital before i died just before i died so you know that was the first thing i was at three years old so you know, it was it was a, it was a rough journey, you know, and yeah, and that abuse went on. I got marks on bite marks on my hands where he would just say, "Come here, white boy," and bite my hands and just spit it out and just crazy. And and this was from a man who was also beating his own mother. I watched him beat his mother as a little boy, a four years old, beat her with a phone, ripped the phone off the wall. This was back in the '60s, a long time ago, and uh, yeah. So it was tough, but but what that did is it opened my eyes, you know, opened my eyes to never do that. Well, 
I uh, is there other people than your father who was abusing you? No, just my dad. My dad was the only one in life because I wasn't gonna let nobody else abuse me. You know, <laughs> even as a kid, and I would I would have fought him. You know, but he was my dad. You know, so now I never had any other abuse. Well, how how did it stop? Did it stop at some point? No. What happened is at six years when I was six years old, I was on my mother's on my grandmother's back porch, and I seen an old orange road runner car coming down the street. My mother hitchhiked a ride from a guy. And came up to the back to my grandmother's house and said, "Stevie, get in the car." And I said, "Let me go tell Grandma." And she said, "No, no, 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 no." I already told her. Now I knew she wasn't telling the truth because they didn't have no cell phones back then. So I got in the car and I was obedient. So she told the guy to drive off. So when he drove off, she just turned around and said, "You're never going back there to get abused again." And mommy, sorry. And she just started crying. And she went to West Springfield. She slept with the man and in front of me, you know, as a kid, you know, so I'm seeing all this. And then the next morning, he puts us on a bus to. Um, for Peter Pan to Boston, and we lived on the streets for about a week. Just me and my mom cuddling and hugging me, just, you know, protecting me. You know, she got clean off the drugs, you know. And you're six years old? I was six years old, correct. So all this is, I see all this like yesterday right now. These ain't stories she told me, this is real. You know, the only thing she told me about was the part when she was, you know, her family not wanting me, you know, and, and it was true because I never met a mom, you know, or father, none of those people. So. So she was born and raised in Italy. No, she was born in New York. She was she was raised in New York and they 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 did some once she got pregnant for me from a black man. It was a wrap. Get rid of him. If you don't get rid of him, see you later. So they booted her, gave her the boot. So, and these are things, you know, I learned from her, you know, like, wow, you know, because I used to wonder what, why, you know, why I don't know my grandmother, <laughs> you know? Why can't I meet your mom? Never met her mom. Wow. Yeah. So, but that drove me, but that's a whole nother story. So, you got into the homeless shelter after a week of street. How was it living in shelter and then also to the project? And then you mentioned that she left you and then like you lived in projects. Like how, what was your experience like growing up in that situation? If you went to somebody who's never experienced that. Yeah, in the shelter was one of, honestly, it was probably one of the better experiences I had at my young age, at my six years, because there was no abuse. I finally was free. I was free. I wasn't abused, you know? So that right there, it may be strange to some people, but it was, it was joyful. I had my mom. I had other kids around who were in the same similar situation as I am, just waiting for a home to come through. It's almost like, like the Rudolph movie when those those toys were waiting for Santa Claus to come pick them up and give them a home, you know? So I was along with the other kids, you know, just waiting, you know, and struggling. Then we finally get that call a few months in that we're going to Columbia Point Projects, which they now call it Harbor Point. But at that time it was the worst project in Boston, the worst. And my mother was the first, the only, well, the only white woman living out there at that time prior to that, they had white people before, but by the time we moved there, it had became nothing but, you know, it was all blacks. And it was projects, it was seven stories and three stories. I mean, I've seen murders, I've seen it all in those projects. 
witnessed it. I've seen friends shooting up drugs, dope, everything in front of you, just watching it all from six years old on. And then my mother leaving me by myself, That's that was probably a good thing, you know, and I'll tell you about that later on when you ask me how I came out, how, I, you know, about the tools. And, um, but yeah, leaving me by myself was an experience, but going to school, you know, I always was an athlete. I always was athletic, even as a little boy, you know, I always was energetic. So I really didn't have any problems. And all the, you know, the young men and women that I met at that time, you know, we all became friends and we became close in that project. So it was different for me because I didn't come from a project technically because my grandmother lived in a home, you know, she I came from a home. And, you know, but then I went into a project and, but well, I went into the shelter first. So that taught me how to, you know, get used to different things and, then I went into the um, to the projects, and like I said, I was always a, a kid with a lot of energy, so I had fun. You know, it was fun for me. You know. So Stephen, I have to ask you, what happened to your dad after that? You your mom kind of came to rescue. Did he chase you? Did he like try to like track you down? It's a good point. Yes, he did actually. He um, so for the first um, while we were in the shelter, we were protected. But once we got into the project, somehow, some way, he figured out where we were at. But by that time, it was too late. My mother had a boyfriend. My father was only five, five, eight, five, nine, and my stepfather was six, five. So he didn't even stand a chance. He tried to come down there with that rah-rah, and uh, he got ran right up out of there. <laughs> so it was no problem. So and I, I witnessed that, and I was like, okay. you know. But that wasn't until... I want to say when I was like eight years old. So for the first couple of years, he never he never found us. And then after that, you know, I was able to come see my grandmother. You know, things were, you know, everything was well because my mother should have had me anyways, you know. And she, it's a shame she had to go through an abduction. Like legally, the courts told, but back then they didn't, they didn't force anything. But the courts told her, you don't get your son. You know, you can get your son. But my grandmother didn't want to give me up. So my mother had to snatch me off the back porch, abduct me, you know, so that's what happened. And for my father, he, um, yeah, he, he, he later on, he, after me, he ended up with, um, I was his eighth kid. And after me, he had, um, I think 10 or 11 more kids, <laughs> you know, so yeah. And I don't think they went through what I went through. You know, some of them did. I'm not going to say that some of them went through the same thing. Some of them went through the same thing. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, um, so I just want to ask you, sticking to the first question, mm -hmm. being a mixed kids in mm -hmm. majority, like black community, mm -hmm. did you get some bullying, discrimination, not fitting in and et cetera, because of your skin is a little bit lighter than other kids? Absolutely. And um as I said, you know, nobody tried to fight me, but they would just make fun, you know, call me Oreo cookie and things like that and half breed and zebra and things like that. And they'd be laughing at the same time because I'm ready to fight, you know, but yeah, I went through that, you know, and that's, that's part, especially growing up in a project, you know, you're definitely going to get that. And then, oh, then when they see my mom, oh, it was, a, it was un unbelievable. That's your mother, you know, and all that. Uh, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I got, I got ridiculed a lot, you know, I got, you know, I got discriminated against, you know, from, from some parents, um, had such a thing against, um, white people at that time, the projects I lived in, 
some of the parents didn't even want their kids hanging out with me because my mother was white. So and I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. You know, I don't know what they thought, you know, because me, I, I only knew the black side. So I don't know what they were thinking, you know, because I never meet, got to meet the white side. <laughs> so everything with, with me, I'm I'm learning the same thing. I'm eating the same foods they eat. You know, it's like it's it's unbelievable. But I went through it. It's it's challenging and yeah, it was it was tough. So how about school system? Like, did you get discriminated from teachers or kids? Like when you're growing up, like say middle school might be hard. Well, let's start Let's start at elementary. I was part of that first busing in 1975. I was part of that, the, the busing that they had in, in Boston, Massachusetts, where they, they, they integrated, started sending black kids to South Boston. I went to the Roger Clapper at four years old. I had a bus escort to school from the age of four to the eight to the twelfth grade. From the fourth grade to the eighth to the twelfth grade, police had to surround Bayside, Bayside Expo to ride us to school, and we had grown men with bats and everything else attacking the buses and everything else or whatever. So the discrimination was horrible when I came up. I came on part of that nineteen seventy five busing. I was part of that. What is busing? Busing is when when they decided to take the kids from the black communities and sent them to a white school to send them to South, to South Boston. South Boston was all white back then at one time. You couldn't even drive through there. So if you missed the day of school, if you, it wasn't part of that convoy with the police escort, we had a police escort to school from fourth grade to 12th grade. Police escorts, they surrounded all of the buses and we went to the Bayside Expo where, where it's Harbor Point right now. We had to sit there. All the all the city buses from all over the city would have to come and park there and wait for the police to surround the whole, all of the buses and take us and drive us, follow us into South Boston. And this was for, for, for elementary kids, middle school and high school kids because they integrated at that time. That was called the busing. That was the 1975 busing in Boston, Massachusetts. I was part of that. You're talking about racism. You're talking about grown men attacking kids. Grown men. You can pull that up on the internet right now and see some of that footage. Grown-ups abusing, trying to kill kids. And some of them did get killed. Like from white people? From white people, correct. Yes. The so Irish. Black, the Irish. So black kids are getting killed by white adults. They was, yes. Yes, they was. Yes. Just you can Google that. <laughs> just look it up on Google. You go, I mean, getting killed at train stations, beat, just I mean, I could I can remember sometimes catching a red, the red line. Going, you know, coming, trying to go downtown or whatever. First, you got to run across when you pass Bayside. You got to run and run to the train station and help you make it to the train station before a carload of white guys stop, see you, and beat you up or try to kill you. This is what we went through. This is the childhood I had. One way in of Columbia Point, Harbor Point, and one way out. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough. It was tough. You know? So after the school system, everything, how about teachers? Did you have any teachers discriminate you or maybe call your names or teachers no. were accepting you and supportive of you and being mixed kids? I was always a kid that had energy, you know, so I was always good. Like I never, I never got in trouble. <laughs> You know, just say that, you know, I always had fun. So I didn't I didn't get those problems. I didn't have any problems, you know. And I always been a leader. I never was a follower. 
I never got the teachers. No, the students. Yes. But the teachers no. So carrying through this childhood trauma, how about your adult life? Um, mm -hmm. How did it affect you in terms of your jobs, your relationships and, you know, anything that kind of remain remained from your childhood? Did it like kind of haunt you down? But I mean, honestly, what it did is it taught me a lot, you know, so I, I never had any problems as an adult with racism or anything like that. Besides that, a few jobs I had. That's a whole nother story in itself, though, because uh, I, I came in as a store manager. I was a 23 year old store manager for a company called Raw Bombs, um, Raw Bombs Food Mart, A&P. And I was the first black store manager for them. So I got racism out of this world. And then I was the first black store manager for Shaw's, which is another supermarket. And I got racism out of this world. I mean, you cannot believe the racism I endured when it came to that. And that was before I went to Sony Records, you know, and then, but that's when I, when I got into the entertainment, there's racism there, but it's, it's kind of masked, you know, they masked the racism. They, they kind of put a mask over it so you don't really see it or they think you don't see it. But um, it's there. It's there. But I deal with it. Can you tell us, our audience, as a mixed man, like mm -hmm. white and black, mm -hmm. do you identify yourself as white or black? There's nothing but black skin here. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, even if I wanted to be white, uh, I could not get away with being white. I've been black my whole life. And I'm going to die black. I'm black. I am a black man who has white heritage inside of him. I'm a black man. I've never lived a white life, never even met my white family. You know, except for, let me let me break back up. I did meet my mother's, um, I did meet my mother's uh, sister and family, you know, like one time and, and i think when i was like maybe like 13 and then when my mother died i met him again like like 10 years ago you know what i mean so twice so but that was cool you know that that was okay though but i'm a black man i don't know anything about the italian side the white side nothing i don't know nothing about it because my mother you would have thought she was a black woman you know so just her whole mindset it just her whole thing everybody you know she just had a light skin that's all but i'm um, no, I, I identify as black and I'm sure when anybody looks at me, they don't see a white man, they see a black man. When you were a store manager, you mentioned that you're the first black store manager. What yes. is the racism? What kind of things that happen to you? All right, let me tell you, A&P is amazing. So when I go there, I go to apply for a data processing job. And so I took a screening, which is called a PI exam back then. So the president um, called me in and said, um, we want to tell you, hey, we like what you, what you, you know, what we see, but we gave the data processing position away. But however, we want to put you into our store manager training program. I said, what? I absolutely, and I didn't even know what that was. They said, we're going to send you to different departments for a few months at a time to learn seafood, meat, everything, all the whole store. So you'll work with the managers of those departments. So you'll learn their job so that way you'll be able to run the store. Long story short, I turn around, I, I finish my training. Now I'm store manager. Now I'm I'm doing vacations for the grocery managers. I'm coming to open the store. I'm not getting any of the treatment that the other store manager are going through. I'm like, something's not right. So I let that go on for a while or whatever. And then eventually, I'll just be honest with you, I had to 
take suit, <laughs> you know? And once I did that, come to find out one of the store managers that left the company, he he vouched for me or whatever. And, and the, the district manager at that time, it was 13 stores in my, in my, um, in my area. He told the store managers in meeting that there's a, a, a nigger coming, if I could say nigger, there's a nigger coming to, to the to the company. Let's make sure that this nigger doesn't make it. So that was on on record and everything else. So needless to say, of course, they they said we we we're okay, we're gonna settle this one. So you know, and then I went to Shaw's and um Shaw's was aware of what, what happened. They took they took, you know, and um with them, I can be honest, it it wasn't the same thing. They were they were a little bit more easy because they knew what happened with the previous when I left the previous company. And um, and I, I fought for my rights. You're gonna treat me right. You know, you're gonna respect me, you know, especially if I've earned that. You're gonna respect me. You know, just because I'm 20 something years old and I'm a black man, and some of these people been in, st in the store working in the stores for 30 and 40 years, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. That has nothing to do with me. And and I wasn't given an opportunity to to let my ability speak for itself. My race became a disability and a disadvantage right out the gate before I even came. But thank goodness for that man who was honest and, 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 and vouched for me and said, you know what, you, 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 had it, you had it bad from the beginning. And so thank goodness for people like that. Well, thank you so much for sharing the real, realism of, you know, the comments such as, you know, let's make sure that nigga won't make it. And yes. that is a reality of some of the mindset. Yes. Unfortunately, in 2023, I had experienced that with my children, through my children, myself Same included, way. even recent incident that I have, Asian hate. Wow. Um, but I feel, you know, these are stories that we feel uncomfortable telling because the minute that you open your mouth about it, somebody try to shut you, shut you down. Right. So how did you advocate um, for yourself is the next questions and stuff. But thank you again for sharing all these adversities that you went through mm -hmm. since even before the birth. Mm -hmm. um, my heart breaks for you. Thank you. Yeah. And then all the abuse that happened that is unbelievable. You can state these things, like my book included, say the subtitle is, you know, sexual child sex abuse and risk violence and that is just the word but the magnitude of it even to the term when you are able to say hey i was abused i have a hole in my head i was bled to death almost you know i was you know living in the worst project and bust and then went through these things that is indescribable and unimaginable so thank you so much for telling telling me and sharing that with our audience. Absolutely, because I know there's other people who are who are dealing with the same thing, similar things. We're not the only ones, you know. Other people are going through it too, and if there, you know, there needs to be more people that can tell the story and then tell the flip side of it as well. You know, that's just the the, the other side of it. But how, what's the triumphant side of it? How did it come up? You know, where did we go from there? Right. Look at you, like success. You know, you know striving and, and still grinding no matter what's going on pushing your kids and doing what you got to do being a great mom you know being a great asset to the to, to the community to the world giving platforms like myself and other people the people that have been in your shows 121 shows the platform you've given for us to talk about what we've been through 
like yeah. you've been through. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, Stephen, I want to move on to the next question, which are, which is the tools that you use to overcome. But before I um, give you a stage, I want to emphasize this is absolutely the best part of the podcast mm -hmm. so far. So uh, out of the 121 guests, <laughs> what happens is when you don't know the mm -hmm. feeling of being raped as a child, when you don't know the feeling of being homelessness, like like experiencing all these adversities, when you don't know, when you don't experience, when you haven't experienced, you can't really help other people in a way, right. a way that as a survivor could maybe give you some two cents. So right. a lot of my guests so far had given so many great tools, which mm -hmm. I've actually applied myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so could you please give us some of the top tools that you actually used and mm -hmm. it worked for you to overcome these extreme adversities? Well, from the beginning, when I was given to my dad and my mom, you know, left me for the first six years of my life, when I didn't have a mother there, you know, I I started talking to God. As a little boy, God spoke to me. So I used that and I ran with that and I used the abilities and the gifts that God gave me at a young age. And um I talked to God, that was my biggest tool. At four years old, I would be in front of my grandmother's house dancing every Saturday, dancing for the community, getting money, making money. I'm out there doing it. They had eight tracks back then. They would put the eight tracks on and I started doing the James Brown and everything else. So that helped me, you know, I stayed busy. You know, I, I, I talked to God. I continued to talk to God as I was going through what I was going through. Cause I knew one day it's gonna change. One day it's going to change. When my mother's leaving me by myself, I'm talking to God because I know one day it's going to change. And I started getting creative and I started taking that energy and I started writing. You know, that's why I write to this day. I mean, I just started doing different things and I just stayed focused and I watched everything. Like I do now, I watch everything. And I'm not afraid to take mental notes and apply things and I watch what people do and I try those things and I'll ask questions along the way. You know, I would do my own personal research. My mother would take me to the movies. I went to see a movie called Superfly and I knew one day at six years old, I was gonna make a movie like that. And two years ago, I made a movie like that called Stay Fly. Just from going to see that, I always observe and I just, I just bring energy into me. And God gave me that gift a long time ago to bring energy in. No matter what you're going through, just pray. Just pray. I started praying as a little boy. And I haven't stopped praying to this day. Nobody told me it's going to be all right. I didn't have nobody there to console me. or I had to figure it out. Like, I'm going to sleep. You know, my mother said pray at nighttime. So I'm praying. Why can't I talk to God during the daytime? Matter of fact, why can't I just talk to God anytime? You know, while I'm riding the bus and I'm looking at these grown men out there with the bats and, and throwing rocks and bottles at the bus, I'm just praying like, God, please help them. Never mind us. Never mind me and the little kids on the bus. Please help them because they got problems. We're good. 
And I use and apply that same thing today. God. God. Without God, we're nothing. There's no such thing as a celebrity to me. You want to impress me? Let me see you walk on some water. I'm sorry, Beyonce, LeBron, Jay-Z, you can't do that. But Jesus can and God can. So my biggest tool is God. That's, that's what's been successful for me. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So, Stephen, um, let's move on to the last question, which is a gift that came from your mm -hmm. adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? The gift is I've been able to write. I write books. I write movies. I write albums. Everything. I'm a platinum music producer. I was on Sony for five years. I have movies out. I have a book out. TV shows, you know, the gifts, just like I said, being a store manager, you know, coming into the industry as a music producer at Sony for five years, you, you know what I mean? Going into movies as a movie producer and director. You got muted. Just being able to stay the course and just know that no matter what you do, that there's greatness out there in all of us. Tap into it. Tap into people, you know, learn how to work with people. Being a director is not easy, you know, because the producing part is, is, is it's, so, it's, it's great because it's from, you see it from the beginning to the end. But the director is when I got to give direction to 40, 50, 60, 70 people at a time. That's the hard part. But being a store manager at such a young age, but before that, going into the army at 17 is what helped me, you know, the discipline, learning. You know, willing to to give your life for everybody else's life. That's what disciplined me. And I carried that over. You know, it helped me in college, you know, being an entrepreneur, spirit award winner, you know, being 4.0 student, my kids doing the same thing. You know, they seeing these things, you know, just, you know, being in the industry and not getting caught up in everything that's going on in the industry. Staying clean. You know what I mean? Not, not being a part of the machine, but keeping him first. He's first, second, and third in my life. He's all in my life. And I keep him. That's why my biggest theme is angels around me. Because you're an angel around me. Everybody's an angel around me that God puts around me. He does that for us. You know, so a lot of great things came out of being able to go through what I went through. I never beat my kids. I got four children and they're adults. I never beat them, not once. I never beat my grandkids. I have five grandkids. Never spanked them or anything like that. You know, because I took enough abuse for all of us. I took enough abuse for all nine of them. So that helped me. I don't beat women. I don't do any of those things. I, I don't have, I'm not into any domestic problems for myself. You know, that's just, but I learned all these things by all the adversity I went through. It taught me. I could have taken getting beat and abused, and I could have beat people. I could have hurt people. I could have used it as a crutch, but I didn't because I know God is good. And that's how I focused, and that's how I stay focused to this day. You know, like you, I'm proud of you. You know, you, you're going through a lot. You deal with a lot, and you, you keep it going. A gift from adversity. That's what it is.
Well, thank you so much again for coming to a gift university today. Yes. If you can give one advice for people who might be listening and going through probably same, maybe similar adversities, mm -hmm. what do you think the best advice that you can give to those people who are going through a tough time? One, the sun will come out tomorrow. That song is powerful. And always keep inside of you knowing that it's going to turn sunny one day. You know, what's happening right now, what goes around will come around. And if you stay prayed up and you stay focused on what it is that you want to do in life, all of those, those things that people are doing that they don't understand that they're doing to you, the mental abuse, the physical abuse or whatever, don't worry. You're going to get through it. No matter what, you're going to get through it. And when you get out of it, stay out of it. Don't go back. Once you're free and you're cut free, don't go back. Don't look back. That's the main thing. Some people go through things and then they want to go back. They turn out. Well, maybe this time they might have changed. Abuser is going to always be an abuser. Know that. So you got to get away from them and, and, and stay away. And that's it. And, and make sure you don't do the same thing to somebody else. Okay. I have a big philosophy that um, I get unfortunately discriminated by my Asian look. Um, I always tell my black friends, you guys get discriminated by skin of color. Yes. Color but um, I get discriminated by my intelligence if yes. I can speak English. Okay. As a writer myself, I've written 600 articles and checked probably 7 million words on Grammarly. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> but awesome. still, my philosophy is no matter what kind of color of your skin you are born with, yes. you cannot change, or socioeconomic status, nepotism, like yeah. anything, white privilege, whatever. Yes. You have equal 24 hours, and it's up to you to use whatever, however you want to use. So yes. abuse, everything that happens, right. you yeah. can dwell on it. You can cry over it for 24 hours, or right. you can move forward and use that 24 hours that's given equally that's right. to us. Equally, yes. 24 hours would never discriminate you. Never. So that's kind of my philosophy. And I like what you said about once you are abuser, they will be abusive forever. Yes. Stay out of it and then don't go back. Don't and that's back. very hard. That's that very hard. Yes. Because your norm and your comfort zone is being abused and yes. then don't know the other side of it. So right. it's very hard to stay out of it, in fact. But I like what you said to stay out of it. And I like what you said about abuser will be abuser. By another formula I have is rapist and racist are always narcissist, narcissistic people. So they will never admit they're wrong. So right. if you don't fight with them. You are, you just say thank you for showing up. Yes. And don't come near me. Yes. Keep it moving. That's yeah. it. Keep it moving. You have to because they're never going to change. And, and for some people, though, some people, 
you don't you, you never know they they kind of might they strive in that though sometimes they live for that some people live for for the the Debbie Downer you know what I mean the why always me type of thing but sometimes they'll put themselves in the position because there are times when you are removed out of that position let's just say like domestic situations where let's say the law enforcement had to get involved you're separated or whatever and then you hear like two or three weeks later or four weeks later they're back together you know what I mean and it's like didn't he or she because because abuse now let's just keep this straight abuse is a two-way street it ain't just men hitting women it's women that hit men too trust me on that you understand what I'm saying so it's a two-way street so so but uh, you you an abuser is an abuser you know what I mean? An abuser is an abuser. And what happens is the people that are getting abused sometimes, they, they start to think it's their fault. They start to feel sorry. And they start to feel sorry for the other person. Now, you know, well, you know, he or she's going to change. I'm, it's going to be okay this time. They, they, they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. You know, Matt, it was my fault. I did that. But I'm not going to do I'm not going to make them mad anymore. Come on. Anybody that can abuse people. There's something wrong with them. You know what I mean? Because nobody has the right to put their hands on anyone. Period. And I don't care. I'm not just talking about physical abuse. I'm talking about sexual abuse and everything. Nobody has the right to have unwanted advances towards them. Period. That's it. That's it. And most abusers, you know, and people that are abused become abusers themselves. Because one, they're abusing themselves sometimes if they keep going back for more abuse. You know, so you get away, stay away. Stay well, away. thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to 121 episode of the Gift More Adversity. And we will see you next time. Yes. Take care.